Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Anna Hola Ward. She is CEO of CircleClick and a futurist. This is Technotopia. Are you hiring? Are you posting your position on job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? This episode of Technotopia is sponsored by ZipRecruiter, and they knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never, ever miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. It is free if you go to ZipRecruiter.com techno. That's ZipRecruiter.com techno. ZipRecruiter.com techno. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Anna Hola Ward. She's CEO of CircleClick, and she's a futurist, which is my favorite kind of person. Um, welcome, Anne. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I like futurists as well. <laughs> I know. That we're, we're, I don't even know if I'm a futurist yet. I feel like I'm just talking to futurists, but I feel like some of the futurism is rubbing off on me. Well, that's great. That's perfect. I, um, <laughs> I, ac- I actually have uh, created a designation I like to call super futurist. Okay. Um, which I came up with last year based on the idea that um, we have a responsibility as, as, as people who are in, you know, in the know and gatekeepers to technology. I think we have a responsibility to those who, who don't have that access. Um, and so super futurists, we don't just predict, we should also, um, we should also try and inform the masses, which is something I think a lot of us fail at doing. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like the, the futurist is the, the traditional futurist was like that faith popcorn kind of situation where they would, they would charge hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for a big, exciting uh, presentation about like in the future, everybody's going to be on, I don't know, flying segways and they never talk to the, but the other issue is you really can't talk about the future in news or anything, right? It, it feels like it's either current, it's either absolutely present or it's a little bit past, but there's the future you can't really talk about. No, no. And I, I, it's not what gets clicks. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Hey, here's a well, well-informed opinion. That's not controversial. Like that's not really where the news is right now. Um, so you know, in my mind, I think we have to evolve past that because what futurists actually do, I think, you know, it's different by definition. I landed on it years ago as a way to kind of encompass my philosophy and who I was because I wasn't quite a data scientist. I wasn't quite a lot of things. But mm-hmm. what I very, was always very sure about was that I, I had a, an obsession with the future I had a science fair project as a kid where I sewed a watch onto a shirt and the teacher told me that was crazy. No one's ever going to wear a watch like that. So it's like, I, it's been a thing for me since it was a thing, uh, since things were things as a child. So to me, it's ingrained, but I think that it's not just predictions. I think it's, it's compelling others to see your vision and helping them understand how technology can improve their lives. What's the best way to assess what technologies are going to be important and which technologies aren't going to be important? 
I mean, that's, that's unique to the individual, obviously, but I think it's, you know, I'm a big believer in not letting big companies create our standards. And that's something, unfortunately, that has happened. So I think it's important to look at entire industries, not just big companies. Like right now, I think the way that predictions are going around social media are just completely focused on the big three, right? Whereas we should be looking at the smaller players and just looking at it, looking at it in a philosophical sense, not necessarily in a practical sense. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I hate big companies dominating and, and taking people's mind share. Um, I think we have to get out of that and think about, think about specifics of how does this improve your life? What are the harms of this? Um, and just being realistic. How do we take that back? How do we take the, those ideas back from, from big companies? I think by establishing our own standards. I mean, I'm a big fan of W3C. Um, I'm a big fan of all these independent consortiums, but I read something recently that basically said that a huge, ex a huge portion of open source developers were actually funded by big companies on the down low. And so we have, you know, limited options as consumers when, when there are three big companies deciding all of our choices. And so I think we fight back. We fight back by, you know, my, my rebellion is run, runs deep. I mean, I'm a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, so of course it does. But I think for me, I never let one company have all my platforms. Like, although I did work for Apple, I don't let them own all of my platforms. I carry an Android phone. So I think making sure that you don't give one company all your information, all your data at once. I also think in, a, in, in just in a personal sense, you don't actually have to give all your accurate information uh, to social networks. Uh, so that's another one I tell people all the time. I'm like, you know, you don't have to put your real birthday. You don't have to put your full legal name. You don't have to keep feeding them the data that they're harvesting and making money off of on you. Like you, you absolutely have a choice. and. I think picking the smaller platforms sometimes can be aggravating, but it also, you know, we're voting with your time and your energy. And then ultimately the other way to do it is with your dollars. That's interesting. Why do, why don't we just stop? <laughs> why don't we just stop posting all our junk to, to Facebook? Why don't we stop using Instagram? What's, what's stopping us from doing that? Because they have employed scientists and psychologists to gamify the experience so that when we log on, we get notifications and it's a shot of dopamine. The psychology is very similar to that of a Vegas slot machine. You, you check your notifications obsessively. And so it's, it's an addiction, uh, just like anything else. They have, mm -hmm. have they've trained us to be addicted because it feels good when you post something that happened in your life and people, you know, like it, it gives you a rush. And so people are hooked on that dopamine and it's really hard to to get off of it once you're on it because you you want you want more and so it's 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 just like alcoholism it's a, it's an addiction um so i i have my own ways of trying to safeguard it i i know it's it's a really hard thing to do but you know like i don't keep facebook on my phone um they lost that privilege so i don't mm -hmm. have social media on my phone other than Twitter, which is my, I will allow myself that indulgence because I love Twitter, but, um, you know, limiting your time or using apps like moment that will tell you how long on your phone you're spending. You look at your battery usage by the week 
you'll start to see where your obsessions are forming. <laughs> like mm-hmm. minor news and Twitter. News and Twitter are 30% of my time. But when you look at it, how much time and how many hours per week are going to those individual platforms, it's really eye-opening. And I think the way to fight it is with knowledge, right? So I know, so when I realized, when I started measuring my battery use and using apps to measure my time on the phone, when I realized how much time was going to Instagram, I was like, this has to stop. So I took it mm-hmm. off um, because the web experience isn't quite as fun. So um, you kind of have to know where your time is going and either be okay with it or, you know, staying ignorant is the worst thing because you you kind of are in a secret denial, but then you, you know... Silicon Valley people, we like to feel guilty about things too. There's like a guilt shame cycle. <laughs> yeah. So the way to get out of that is to be aware of the time spent. And then you can you can say, okay, well, I need to cut this down. And you can set goals with your phone and you can actually lock yourself out if you really want to. Hmm. Okay. So it's basically just tough self-love, I guess. Absolutely. Discipline. <laughs> What does, I mean, what do our brains look like after we're done with this? Because, I mean, not everybody's going to follow this this sort of discipline. This is almost a, this is almost a Zen, Zen Buddhist sort of situation where you basically fight against the distractions uh, back in the, back in the, I don't know, the 1400s or the 1200s or whatever. You were fighting against the distractions of a modern world, which were essentially maybe like a, a dog barking somewhere. But now you're flooded. Is is do, are we creating a separate social class of 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 antisocial monks of antisocial media monks? Absolutely. There are a number of people. I travel in influencer circles and uh have, you know, been recruited into the Adobe and IBM futurist and influencer programs and a lot of the people are lovely, but some of them who they are online is not anything close to who they are. Mm-hmm. In- in person. And so as long as that continues and it, it allows people to kind of create a fake face, they're going to do it. People are going to do it. But, you know, that's that has to be left to the individual to say, okay, I buy this or no, I don't. And I think if enough people find another way to get information, I mean, I think my bigger concern isn't time spent on social and distractions so much as it is that our information is is so curiously uh aggregated so Uh i I read about an hour of news a day and across all kinds of sources google news cnn bbc uh smart news i've got rss set up from different blogs and different whatever and i've noticed in this last year alone that there seems to be four to seven headlines a day and they're basically the same internationally and in the US. And they're they're not really there's not a, a good difference of information. It's like only really four to seven things rise to the top on all these different platforms that it's scary to me. Um, uh-huh. and this is what you know, everyone will like to say this is what costs the Democrats the election, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's that um we're not, we have all this information, but the way it's aggregated is still pretty crude in my opinion. So the, so the fear here is that we're looking at information that's being repeated over and over again. Um, I mean, I guess that's sort of a, that's sort of a problem news gathering in the web age, because if you're sitting there tasked with writing 10 stories per day, which is entirely feasible number, if you're in some small site and they're not paying you anything, uh, you basically have to do what everybody else is doing. Is that is is there any way out of that? 
I mean, it's hard to do your own individual research and extrapolate trends every day. And then mm-hmm. we weave together your own compelling narrative. Um, Cause I've found that people hate numbers, but they love a story. And so, you know, we loved plain Bay. We loved hating on Rachel Dolezal. We hate it, you know? And so the, the social media plus news element, has sort of bled the lines of what is news and what's not. And so what I'm really hoping that somebody does, whether it's blockchain, whether it's whatever, is come up with a way to aggregate news more democratically. It's not necessarily like a Reddit style. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like an impossible task right now, but I do know there's a number of startups working on it uh, to try and figure out how to verify information and news stories, for example. Um, what does the world look like in, uh, in 20 years, given all your, given all your, um, what you're talking about now? Well, I think the way that, uh, the world looks is definitely going to hopefully be, um, more socially conscious. I think that the generation coming up are, you know, they don't want to just buy from companies that are are making things in America. They don't care where it's made. They care how it's made. And so I've seen in a lot of younger people, social conscience that gives me hope that we're going to perhaps care where our food comes from. We're going to care where our clothes are made and that they're not made by children. And so that will allow us to have hopefully less cruelty in the world uh, would be my hopeful prediction. Um, but I think, you know, being who I am, I got to say it, I think uh, there's going to be a big fork in currency. And I think we're going to see a playing field leveled in the business sense because, you know, crypto is not going away. I know that a lot of people would like to say that it is and think that it's a fad. But I think that, you know, forking of, of currency, that's been happening since the beginning of time, since there has, mm-hmm. has, since there has been currency. So I think with all this new wealth, it creates new opportunities. So I'm pretty optimistic that um, at least some some wealth will be redistributed. And, you know, sure, flying cars, maybe space travel. (laughs) (laughs) But you you just want to get rid of inequality, which I think would probably be even better than flying cars and space travel. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I I mentor. um, Part of what I do, I've been successful. And I think part of part of my responsibility as an individual is to give back. And so a lot of the the women that I mentor are all working on social responsibility. And it's just, it gives me a lot of hope. Um, and so to anyone out there who is in a leadership position and you're not mentoring people actively, like get on it because the way that we're going to build a stronger future is by assisting those who are trying to enter the field and don't have the access that we do. Um, I think it's really crucial. How do you monetize uh, doing good, I guess, is the question. Well, I think that, um, you know, it's a hard thing to do. There's like the easy way, which is just throwing it into your marketing message and hoping people like you. I think a lot of companies do that. Like they go pay an offense once a month and then they blog about it. I think that's like the laziest way to do it. But I think building into your model, giving back, um, giving back, allowing a certain amount of time for an employee per week to do something, uh, you know, like I take on every year, I take on a, a client for free who's either a nonprofit or just somebody who genuinely needs a break. Um, and so it shouldn't, I wish that it wasn't a financial deficit 
um, but often it is. But I, I have seen a new trend uh, that's kind of coming out of LA that hopefully we'll get to the Silicon Valley if it hasn't already, which is social impact investing, um, which is a good way to build it in. So investing in companies that provide social impact to the world, you know, help the oceans, help help the environment. I think, you know, that type of investing will encourage others to put money into the industry, into into industries that aren't necessarily successful financially in the in the immediate term, can be in the long term. Um, you know, because like it, it, it crushes me how many fires we're having in California and we have all these smart people. Mm-hmm. Like why are why aren't we using sensors or IoT solutions to find early early detection of fires sooner? The reason that that hasn't happened is that nobody's figured out how to make money from it. So yep. I, I have always followed the rule that my parents, you know, kind of always had, which is follow what interests you. And that's how I found mm-hmm. my, my success is by finding what I'm passionate about and working on that. All of my clients have very different uh, products and backgrounds, but they all compel me in a different way. And so I think if you if you start there, the money will come if you're good at what you do and you're passionate about it. Others will see that passion. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the, on the, I guess the social, uh, social good side. And I think they get frustrated because there's, there's only a few things you can really change without getting deep into either regulated situations. Um, I mean, if you think about like a Theranos kind of thing, presumably their goal was to make health better, but ultimately they had to, well, there's a whole, all kinds of interesting issues over there, but, uh, they had to deal with, with a, bureaucracy in a system that didn't allow the sort of slash and burn entrepreneurship that SF or Silicon Valley encourages, right? Right. And that's why we have to think about our models and not just obsess about scalability, but also obsess about sustainability. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I think if it's in the business plan and if it's part of the, the ethos of the company, then it's likely to happen. If it's something that the company cares about, um, but often it's it's more of a facade. But I am seeing more more in crypto. Actually, I'm seeing more giving back than I have in any other industry ever. Just mm-hmm. because there's all this new wealth and people don't necessarily know how to distribute it. Everybody's holding it or hodling it, I should say, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and nobody knows how to spend it yet. And so I'm seeing I'm seeing that get that wealth get dispersed. So it gives me hope that maybe we're going to find a way um, to help, help accessibility because, you know, I'm looking at the trend line and I'm looking at all these jobs that are going to get eliminated for the rest of the country. If we keep going the way we're going and it's like, we have to start thinking about how are we going to include these other people? I, Mm -hmm. I very firmly believe that technology when it's not accessible to people becomes a limiting factor. And so what should be a good thing becomes a horrible. so like the example I always go back to is Uber, you know, my grandparents, before they passed, there was a time when they couldn't drive anymore. And, you know, what was their option for Uber? They were left out of that because they didn't have smartphones. It's like, how hard would it, mm-hmm. how hard would it have been for Uber to say, here's a phone number for, you know, people that don't have these phones, but they didn't do it because it wasn't scalable. So it's, it's, you know, we have to think about the older generations. We have to think about the, you know, I feel like I'm getting kind of, pie in the sky here but yeah, yeah. I, I do think though that it it 
technology is something that we take for granted in Silicon Valley and that we have to do a better job of telling the story of why it matters and helping bring these technologies to people's lives to improve them. We need to do things other than make dry cleaning easier to pick up. Like that's just not, <laughs> that's not where humanity is going to benefit. And so I think, I think we're having kind of a sea change here in that I'm seeing people talk about, or I'm hearing people talk about it more and more than I have ever before. And it's really strongly coming out of the crypto community because they're kind of, it's a chance to reset and say, okay, maybe if we start from scratch, we do this differently. So that gives me more hope than I've had in a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as as somebody who actually loves crypto, uh, it gets really, really frustrating to see uh, so many, well, historically, there were a lot of bad actors and weirdos in the space, but now I think it's changing considerably. Right, right. I was actually at an event yesterday, and I everybody was dressed nicely. Uh, I, oh, interesting. I know. I didn't smell any weed. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Nobody... Uh... Nobody would know. Well, we were just in a, we were just in Zug with uh, Vitalik and those guys, uh, all the Ethereum folks, and they were all wearing weird, crazy T-shirts. But I mean, they were they, interesting thing. It was almost like the hippie version of the Bitcoin, the intense Bitcoin folks, uh, which was really fascinating to see. They're, they they really have separated themselves from the rest of the, of the crypto world by being just cute, fun guys and women, uh, which is like wearing funny t-shirts, being kind of a little bit wacky, being a little bit more excited about stuff. So instead of pump and dump all day long, it's basically, hey, let's just make something cool. So I think that's the same. Uh, it feels like the future. It does. And, and I think the leaders are starting to realize, like, hey, we have an opportunity here that's bigger than just money. Like this is giving, mm -hmm. giving you know, the unbanked, a billion unbanked women in the world. Like, this is something that can serve those people that technology and traditional systems have forgotten. And there's just something so beautiful about that. And I, I do see people maturing. It's, it's definitely, you know, I've had a few issues where I've like spoken on a panel and, you know, they bro out and they talk over me and, you know, there's a little, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a little bit of that um, when the room is 80% men. But I see more and more women every conference I go to. Um, so I'm, I think the balance, once the balance gets there, and we have enough diversity, then I think it's, that's when the real magic is going to happen. Because that's, that's like the, the, the worst PR about diversity is that it's work. It's actually not. It's fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it actually helps everything to bring different perspectives. So I'm starting to see that, and I'm very encouraged by it. All right, super. Where can people find out about what you're working on? Um, you can follow me on Twitter or on Medium at Anbot, A-N-N-E-B-O-T. All right, super. All right, so uh, so things things are things are looking up thanks to crypto, which is the bottom line, I guess. Yes, yes. I think uh, it's a whole new world. We have so much potential, and now we've got to figure out how to make it happen. We got to get out of the white papers and start building properties. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And thank you for joining Man Technotopia. This is uh this has been really cool. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. 
Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is presented by your host, John Biggs. It was produced by Rick Barr of Bar26 Entertainment at ricksvoice.com. It appears every Friday at noon, and we're always looking to talk to interesting people. Tweet at John Biggs if you'd like to join us on the show.